So we are, as a church, working through the book of Mark. It's been the most amazing journey. I think we probably are about 28 weeks into, no, Holy Week 2. Wow, about almost 30 weeks through the book of Mark over the last two years. It's been an extraordinary journey as we've been doing it. Last week, we, had the most, we saw the most incredible encounter. Jesus, up on the mountaintop, three of his closest disciples, Moses, Elijah, appear with them. It's this extraordinary mountaintop experience, right? Next week, we read one of the most profound teachings in all of Scripture. If every leader in our nation read next week's text and lived it out, the, the nature of our country would be extraordinarily different. Today, we're looking, though, at coming down off the mountain, right? This mountaintop experience with God, and now we're coming down off the mountain into, into, into the real world, I suppose. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to share the big idea of this message, and then we're going to ask two questions today of this text. We're going to ask the question, what does this teach us about who Jesus is? What do we learn about Jesus, firstly? And then secondly, what do we learn about following Him? And so if you're a visitor or you're looking into the claims of Christ as you're with us today, this is a fantastic Sunday to learn something about Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. Open your Bibles with me if you, uh, if you would like to, uh, to Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. That is a big mark on my shirt. Wow. Anyway, it's out there. It's out there forever. Mark chapter 9 verse 14. Follow along in your own Bibles if you will. I'm reading from the NIV um, and here we go. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, this is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, been up on the mountain. They're coming down off the mountain, probably Mount Hermon, and they gather with the disciples. They saw a great crowd around these guys and the scribes, and they were arguing together. Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, this is Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams, at the, he foams and he, uh, he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell down on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child carried out, uh, the father of the child cried out, sorry, and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that some of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's do that right now together. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you make it come alive to us? 
Just wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, why don't you ask God, pray this prayer. God, speak to me from your word today. So we ask the question, what do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about following him? We ask, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and answer these questions for us. Amen. Okay, and so we've looked at Mark chapter 9, we've read it, and we're going to unpack it together. But let me just go all my cards uh, in front of you today. The big idea in today's message is we look at filling the city of Cape Town with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. Those, the kind of people who fill the city of Cape Town with the message, life, and fame of Jesus are those who live by prayer and those who live by faith. Those who live by prayer and those who live by faith. We as Common Ground South Penn, if you're a Christ follower, we are those who live by prayer and faith. Like the disciples, we minister to our city. We're called and sent into our city through prayer and through faith. And so let's ask these two questions of this text. What do we learn firstly about Jesus? Number one, we learn Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Verse 17 and 18. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Come, let's step into the crowd that day. 2,000 years ago, Jesus just coming down off the mountain. His disciples are so probably relieved to see him. They're in a situation way over their heads. There's a father who's brought his son to first the disciples and then to Jesus. The boy's condition is severe. Mark wrote the shortest of the four Gospels by a long way. And yet, four times in this narrative, Mark repeats this boy's condition. Could have said it once. He doesn't. Four times he tells us about this plight. The boy's life is misery, right? It's desperate. It's sad. And, and, and this dad had tried everything and nothing had worked. It's been going on for a long time. The, the disciples couldn't sort it out. And this father has kind of reached the end of what he's able to do. I just can relate so much as a dad in this situation to just imagine what it must be like. You reach the end of what you're able to do. I think if we're honest, Probably COVID for many of us has done something similar to us, whereby we've reached the end of what many of us are able to do. We've realized just how not in control we really are in life. I think for many of us before COVID, there was this kind of illusion. Well, you know, I can do this, I can do it. And this kind of sense of I'm in control. For so many of us, this moment has made us mindful of just how finite we really are as human beings how vulnerable we really are, just how we're, we're not these masters in control of our own destiny like the poets and the movies love to tell us. We're actually not in control. And, and, and in these moments, you either turn upwards as you reach towards Christ or you turn inwards in strife, in sleeplessness, in anxiousness. And, and this dad, obviously he's had bouts of all of that, but he, what he gets right today is he turns Upwards to look to Jesus. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about, was foaming at the mouth. I think worth saying, sometimes things get better and will get worse before they get better. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I love this question. I don't think it's so much a diagnostic question. Jesus wasn't trying to like work out the symptoms and what's going on here as much as it was a compassionate question. It's like he says, how long have you been living like this? 
your life is so hard. What's going on here? And it's like when he asked this question, the floodgates of years of affliction pour out. The dad just says, it's, it's been going on from childhood. Often it's cast him into the fire and into the water, trying to destroy him. It's like I'm living in constant fear that this thing is going to take my son's life. I, I can never switch off. I'm always on, always running around after this boy. But, he's, but this dad in desperation says, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. It's, it's such a beautiful word, this word in Greek, compassion. Um, I think you can see it up here. That's the Greek word there. Before you laugh at me, you try to say that. Okay. That's not the point that we can pronounce it right. What I want you to know is what it means. This Greek word here means to be moved in your inward parts. You know how when you hear terrible news about someone you know, and it's not just that you're sad for them, but, but something, oh, it's like almost not a punch in the guts, but it's like your belly is actually physically moved by that news. This is the word. And the dad says, Jesus, if, if, you, if you were moved in, in who you are, if who you are has empathy and is moved, and, and, and it's the truth. Jesus is full of that. It's not a word we see only there in the Gospels when Jesus stood on the mountain. He looked upon the crowds, it says, and, and he looked upon them uh, with compassion, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Same word. And, and Jesus moved with compassion. Many times we read, did these miracles. Jesus, what do we learn about Jesus in this text? Jesus is full of compassion. And upon seeing the pain of a loving father, Christ's compassionate heart is revealed. Number one, Jesus is compassionate. Number two, we learn here today, Jesus is also able. Jesus is also able. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. As Jesus takes exception to his if you can prayer. Jesus literally takes exception to his if. What do, you, what do you mean if I can? It's as if Jesus is saying. He says all things and he corrects him. All things are possible for the one who believes. And, and all things are possible means just that. In the Greek it means all things are possible. It's as clear as that. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is strong. Jesus is able. The problem in this situation is not the ability of Jesus, and it's not the compassion of Jesus, but there's just no faith in this situation. My third point in here today is Jesus is moved by faith. Jesus is moved by faith. And Jesus begins to teach this man, if you will, about faith. If you can versus belief. There's a difference between if you can prayers and belief prayers, right? There's a faithless ask, and there's a faith-filled ask. And Jesus is not moved by his if-you-can prayer. But, but what we can see here is what does move Jesus. Immediately, the father of the child cried out. He cried out, and he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. It turns out that this man does have faith. It might be very new faith. It might have just come from hearing Jesus say, all things are possible to one who believes. And that hearing the word of God into his mind and seeing Jesus put faith into his heart. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. It turns out this man does have faith. It's just not much faith. It's little faith, but there is faith nonetheless. True faith, I want to say, is aware of its small size and its inadequacy. 
true faith is aware of its small size. This man didn't pretend otherwise. He had very little faith, but he didn't try and dress it up. He didn't posture up. There had been years of dealing with his son's disease. You've got to imagine failure after failure after failed attempt to try and sort this out. And it just had never come right. He's had no success. His faith is at an all-time low. But the truth is, in this text, it's not about how much faith that the man had. It's about he took the little bit that he had and he put it onto Jesus. It's not the size of his faith, but it's the object of his faith that we see here. Time after time we see in the Bible, nothing moves the hand of God as much as faith does. And I don't think, I don't think it just moves his hand. I think it pleases his heart. Listening to Terry Virgo recently what a great privilege it's been over the last three years having Terry in our story coming. He's come three years in a row. And uh, this year, obviously, he had to come via uh, technology. He couldn't come in person. But um, one of the things he said while he was with us, he said he's convinced that the first sin in the Garden of Eden wasn't selfishness. Yes, that was part of it, but it was actually a failure to trust that God was who he is. It was an unbelief in God. Faith is so wound up in what it means to follow Jesus. Nothing pleases the heart more, the heart of God more than faith does. And, and faith is exactly the kind of thing that diminishes when we start to live as if everything is under our control in our lives. It's exactly the kind of thing that wanes. It's exactly the kind of thing that diminishes. Our faith muscles atrophy when we live as if we... We're the ones in control. When this illusion of control is rife in our lives, what happens is faith shifts off of Jesus and onto ourselves subtly without us realizing it. And then suddenly a moment like this comes along and we realize, whoa, I've drifted. True faith is about knowing you don't have enough faith. This man, I I believe, but help me in my unbelief. But it's taking the little bit that you do have and putting it all onto Jesus. Verse 25 continues. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus, shook, Jesus took him by the hand. and uh, Sorry, those letters are close in my Bible. Um, and Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus, who is compassionate, Jesus, who is able, is now moved by the little bit of faith in this man's life. And, and he, he delivers this boy. He heals him. Mark is showing us here that faith closes the gap between human inadequacy and God's power. Faith closes the gap between human inadequacy and God's power. Edwards, who writes for the the pillar commentary that I've used so much in this series, um, he says this, the sole bridge between the frailty of humanity and the all-sufficiency of God is faith. So what do we learn about Jesus? We learn about Jesus, that Jesus is compassionate, Jesus is able, and Jesus is moved by faith. But the second question we're asking today is, what do we learn about following him? Now, what does this mean for us as Christ followers? If you're not yet a Christ follower and you're looking in and you're, you're, you're dialing into this as well, uh, you're asking, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You've got a window into what Jesus is like, but what does it look like to follow him? Let's talk about it now. What do we learn about following Jesus? Number one, follow Jesus into ministry. Follow Jesus into ministry. And just to be clear here, I don't mean like joy 
join the church full-time staff member, etc. Now you become a pastor or a minister, etc. No, this is in our own neighborhoods, in our own networks, in our own relationships. You are placed where you are and you live as if you're sent there by God. You're not just a missionary because you go to the other side of the world. You're a missionary because you live sent by God to where he has placed you. And so follow Christ into ministry. Verse 14, and when when they came to the disciples, Peter, James, John, and Jesus come down off the mountain to the disciples. They saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. While Jesus is up on the mountain, the kind of left behind disciples got a job. So they got on with the job. They got on with the job of mission. They got on with the job of what Jesus is doing. They gave themselves to extending the kingdom of God in the world. They were pushing back darkness where they were. And Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. Do you see that? Jesus doesn't correct them and say, how, how dare you? What made you think you could get on with this while I was not with you? No, he doesn't tell them they're wrong. This is exactly what Jesus is preparing them to do. He knows that there's going to come a moment in the near future where he's going to ascend to the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And that's the moment that he's busy preparing for where they will continue the work that he's doing. Uh, Luke wrote the gospel. is Matthew, Mark, we're busy reading now. The gospel of Luke. Luke then wrote a second book, which is the fifth book in the New Testament called the book of Acts, which is, this is the story of Jesus, these four books. Then Acts is the explosion of the early church. Luke wrote the story of Jesus and then opens Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the church now, with this line. In my former book, O Theophilus, which is the guy he was addressing it to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. By implication, now Acts is the story of Jesus' continued ministry, except through the 12, not just the 12, but the other disciples as well around them, that Jesus had been training up and readying to deploy in the moment of the release of the book of Acts. These guys were about following Jesus into ministry. Even those who went up on the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they come down off the mountain. It was never about staying on the mountain. They had this amazing mountaintop experience, worshipful. Jesus, Jesus is literally revealed before them. His, his clothes are dazzlingly white, like no, like supernaturally white, the Bible says. It's glorious. And all they want to do is stay on the top of the mountain. Peter actually says, Jesus, can we make some tents so we can all just hang out here on the top of the mountain together? I mean, literally, he literally says that. But Jesus says, no. The purpose of the mountain is coming down to where the ministry needs to happen. The the point of mountaintop experiences is mountaintop experiences don't just lead us closer upwards to God, but they lead us outwards into our communities. Michael Eaton, he says this of this this, uh, story. He says, what is the use of seeing the glory of God with their own eyes if they then are not able to be of any use to the people uh, when they are in need? What is the use of seeing the glory of God with our own eyes if we're not able to be of any use to those to whom we go out to into our communities? This is a tough moment in history. Hopefully the toughest we ever find ourselves in as a generation. I mean, and I I get the pressures of COVID. I feel them as well. It can't be that COVID stops us from being the people of God in our communities. It can't be that COVID causes us to back off from mission, from trying to reach our friends, from trying to to share who Christ is in our communities. We have, as Common Ground, always been a church of of people going out into our communities. We're we're not just going out, but we invite others in. We, We say this is a church where you can belong before you believe. There's a culture of invitation. And I want to call us to recover something of 
this, to recover something of, of who we are as a people who are outward looking and outward facing into our neighborhoods, into our networks, into our businesses and friendship circles, etc. Don't be surprised when our mountaintop experiences with God, the next movement then is one where you face opposition and difficulty. Don't let this unsettle you. It doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. It doesn't mean that the mountaintop was in vain. It doesn't mean that it's not real. When you come off of great experiences with God or great moments and seasons of fruitfulness in your life and you come straight into opposition like this, it doesn't illegitimize anything that happened on the mountain. In fact, it's an invitation to growth. It's an invitation to prayer and to faith. The task is to appropriate the climax of the mountain into your character and into the crises of our world. That's what we do as Christ followers. What do we learn about following Jesus? We follow Jesus into, uh, into mission. The second thing we learn is realize very quickly, hopefully, that we don't have all that it takes. Verse 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This is one of the most important lessons in following Jesus. We are not able. We do not have all that it takes. It is a critical lesson. We have to bank, and that's okay. We don't have what it takes, and that is okay, because again, prayer and faith close the gap between our inadequacies and God's power. God's going to call us to things that are beyond what we're able to do. You you don't have to live long to find yourself in a situation whereby you're in over your head. We've spoken a bit about that. But in mission and in serving Christ too, we've got to realize as Christ follows, the call is not to have everything we need. The call is to trust that Jesus is enough. The last thing we learn about following Jesus is rely on God through prayer and faith. I know I'm repeating it a lot. Rely on God through prayer and faith. We follow Jesus into mission. We realize very quickly we don't have what it takes. And so therefore we rely on God through prayer and faith. Verse 28, and the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Here's the thing. Jesus calls the disciples and he calls you and me. Even this for the city moment, I suppose, is exactly one of those things. It's a call to something beyond our abilities. It's a a call to something to stretch for. But the only way to do that is not through our own abilities, but it's to do so through prayer and through faith, acknowledging our own human inadequacy and placing our trust and our dependence for on God to intervene. It's this gap between our ability and what we need God to do that shows it's not about us. It's actually Christ's power that gets it done in the end anyway. It's the disciples' inadequacy. That's, it's, not, it's not their fault either. It's not their fault. And it needn't diminish their faith. Your inadequacy to do all that God's called you to do It needn't diminish your faith. It's a call to put your faith on Jesus. Inadequacy, if properly understood, should lead us to Jesus in prayer and faith. Does that make sense? One last question. What if you pray and you believe and things don't work out the way you hoped? I mean, what if... What if you're praying and you're believing just like this father is in this story and things don't go the way you hoped? I wish there was one easy answer I could give to this question. One one size fits all answer, but there simply isn't one. 
every situation is different. Sometimes it's, it's to keep trusting and pressing. Other times it's to realize God's doing something in a different way. I, 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 I. What I will say is this. You don't work the answer to this question out on your own. It's the influence of modern Western culture that drives us into isolation in these hardest moments of our lives. It drifts us off to go on my own into the wilderness to figure this thing out. It's nonsense. Faith thrives in the family of God. You were born again into a spiritual family. That's why that word born again, it's family language. So you know you're born into a spiritual family with blood ties and not light connections. God has placed you in a community that, that hopefully into a life group as well of people who can stand with you in these moments. When things don't work out the way you hope they would work out, we work out these things in community. God, what could you be doing? What is the next step? We don't work these moments out on our own. We talk with our pastors, we talk with our leaders, but we don't stand on our own. We, we lean in together to God and we trust God. We trust Jesus in these times, but we do it together as we discern what's going on. I wish I had an easy answer for you there. These answers have never come easy in my life either. I want you to know that. But working them out together in community is, is the way in which we find faith through prayer together to find out what God is doing. And so I want to call us to that. It's, it's again, it's faith that closes the gap between our temporarily unanswered prayers and God's permanently perfect character. But it's that faith moment is one we work out together, not on our own. The big idea today, the kind of people who fill the city of Cape Town with the message, life, and fame of Jesus are those who live by prayer and live by faith. Take a second. Check your prayer and faith pulse. How are you doing? How's your prayer life? How's your faith? Today is an invitation to know Christ, Jesus who is compassionate, Jesus who is able, Jesus who is moved by faith. Can we stand together? Can I invite our amazing worship band who led us so well to lead us again in song as we... As really, I want to create a moment for us, mindful. Who is Jesus? Jesus is one who is compassionate. Jesus is one who is able. Let us put our faith again on Him. How's your prayer? How's your prayer? How's your faith? I want to ask the Spirit of God to cause faith to rise up in us again as a people. Would you, would you ask Him with me? Perhaps for you, the start of this journey, it's, it's the start of a journey. You're not in this journey of followership with Jesus just yet. You're looking in. But actually, the first step is putting your faith onto Jesus. A little bit of faith means you've still got lots of questions. Just like this dad, help my unbelief. There's so many unanswered questions. I've still got unanswered questions. I want you to know that. But, but it, the journey starts when you put your faith, the little bit of faith you do have, onto Jesus. Come, let's do that now. Jesus, right now. We are not in control. We are finite human beings. We are vulnerable in this moment, God. We do not have all that it takes. Would you personalize that prayer to Christ right now? But Jesus, we recognize that you are the one who is compassionate. God, you're good. And you are the one who is sovereign and able today. I'm not. But I know you. And you are compassionate. You are good. And you are able. And so Jesus, I put my faith on you freshly today.
pray for us, God, as we sing this song, would you cause a fresh revelation of Jesus to inspire fresh faith in our hearts as Christ followers. Come, Holy Spirit, and stoke the flames of faith in our beings that we would freshly rediscover the invitation and gift of prayer as a church to depend on you, to trust you, to do more, Lord Jesus, that we'd get back something as a church of being those kind of scrappers who in this culture, as broken as it is, to see the gospel come again, Lord Jesus. Cause faith to rise up in our hearts. Faith for others. Faith for friends. Faith for family members who don't know you. Faith to step out and to share who you are, Jesus. Faith to trust you for more. Faith to trust you in our finances. Faith to trust you for these wrestles that are going on within us where we've turned ourselves inward and it's led to angst and strife, God. So we freshly put our faith on you, Jesus. Come and do a work in this place, we ask now, Lord. Come, let's meet with this Jesus as we sing together. Come, Lord.